We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Exterminator on September 19th, 1980. It was written and directed by James Glickenhaus and released by Avco Embassy Pictures, who did The Fog and I think Death Ship and some other things this year. The film was made on a $2 million budget, and they spent a full 400000 on just the Vietnam sequence, and a full 25000 of that was spent on a single beheading shot. It was worth it. It was. Actors Robert Ginty and Steve James allegedly suffered burns from an explosion mishap on set, though director James Glickenhouse published a letter in Variety denying allegations of a helicopter accident. The location used was Indian Hills here in Southern California, sadly right where the tragic helicopter accident happened on the set of The Twilight Zone a few years later. Also very near the set of The Octagon earlier this year. Though for whatever reason the credits say, filmed in Vietnam. (laughs) They didn't shoot anything in Vietnam. (laughs) Joseph Bottoms was originally cast as John Eastland, but wanted too much money. Steve James, who plays Michael Jefferson in the film, originally auditioned for the bartender role, but impressed the director enough to get bumped up to the Jefferson role. I think he should have been bumped up to the Eastland role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell has said that he based his portrayal of Snake Plissken on Robert Ginty's performance as John Eastland in this film. Huh. That's crazy to me. Because it's nothing like his character? They're both like mumbly mouth badass guys mm. that are just trying to fix the city that don't care about anything. We start the film with an explosion throwing a man over a cliff at night. A man fires a machine gun over the crest of a hill until another explosion knocks him back. There's a lot of random explosions. Yes. Like not just explosions that are doing anything, but the cliff sides are just Exploding. going up in balls of flames here. And it, it's almost like they're just lobbing explosives at the cliff. Yeah. Because how would you plant explosives on a sheer cliff dirt face like that without disturbing oh, the whole thing? I think for that scene, the implication is that those are rockets detonating on the wall. Mm. And these explosions are happening close to things. Like the helicopter prop wash is visible in these gasoline explosions That's in true. the smoke. Yeah. So these are coming up right behind these mm-hmm. helicopters. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. A soldier sends up a flare to get the attention of their nearby evac choppers when suddenly they notice the smoke of the explosions clearing, and that they are surrounded by the enemy. One of the men is tied to a post with a machete held to his neck, and they say, When you attack Lompart, he refuses to answer, and a fellow POW is effortlessly beheaded by the same machete. Like, he just barely swipes it past his neck, and his whole head just falls off sideways. It's super sharp. Yeah. But the way that head moves like the mouth moves after the head's chopped off it's a full animatronic yeah that's why it was so expensive why did they bother though did you see uh, the head and he knows you're alone well yeah i know but i'm just saying like i don't think that this was 
critical to the plot that's happening. No, it's definitely not. And until you said it, I forgot that it was in there. So I didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just I, I rewound it like three times because I was trying to figure out how they did it. Well, that, I think that, that was that right when shot. we paused it because we heard Eddie creeping up on us, and then we and then she left the room and we played it again, and, and the that's when the head off. just peeled yeah. off. <laughs> she walked in between the slice and the tip. <laughs> but it that's the kind of shot where eight year old me sees it in the movie and then goes, "We're renting this again, like next week." <laughs> Like I have to see this movie again, because that that's that's the only shot I remember from this movie. If if I'm a kid, but after this guy gets his head chopped off, they ask Ginty the question again, and this time he straight up gives up the date of when they plan their attack. Yeah, he's like July 31st. Please don't kill me. And the Machete Man says, "Good. That's what our spy said. Like we already knew that information. We were asking you to see if you were going to lie to us or not, and now we've wasted our one truth out of you." Mm-hmm. And we even killed another guy that we had as a prisoner for no reason because we already knew the answer to the question. And does this come up again? Like that he that he betrayed the, the country? No. Yeah. No. Nothing. Suddenly, another American soldier sneaks up and just garrots a dude. He swings a machine gun back and forth across the scene and just takes out the whole rest of the enemy squad. One of them straight catches on fire and has to dive in the river to put it out. The American soldier cuts down the POW and another group of americans come to clear the rest of the camp and race for the evac chopper when they're suddenly under fire again as the chopper's leaving it's dodging rocket blasts in slow motion as it swings past the face of a cliff and we cut to america and we get the ultra patriotic theme of the heroes and the blood that was shed and america you owe it to these guys i've been a witness to the spilling of the blood Seen the lifeless body lying in the mud. I walked away alive with a wounded heart, but I had to heal it. I had to heal it till I couldn't feel. As the sun rises over the city, we push into the open-air markets, stocking their produce for the morning. Michael Jefferson, the soldier who saved the POW earlier, is loading pallets onto a dolly as a pair of mafioso types walk into his boss's office. The men walk in and open a briefcase full of money, and the boss hands them a wad that they label and toss into the briefcase before leaving. Unrelated incident, three members of the Ghetto Ghouls street gang have broken into a storage unit to steal flats of beer. Presumably the payment that he just made was for protection, but nobody's out here stopping these guys. Well, because these guys work for the mob boss that we'll see later. But the, the ghouls do? No, no, the, no. the guys, the guy Yeah, paying, the two big guys, up. yeah. Um, but it seems like he's strictly involved in meat. So I guess the beer he portion... He doesn't care about the beer. Yeah. The boss stops outside with Michael's pay and includes a small raise because he's such a good worker and he wishes it could be more. Mike's friend John shows up, and this, I think, is the POW from earlier, but now he doesn't have a mustache, so it threw me off. Yeah. Michael invites John out for coffee and offers to pay in exchange for John taking this cart down to stall 34. John notices on the way that the Ghetto Ghouls, a local street gang, have ransacked a stall full of beer, and they're just draining it like a bunch of raccoons rolling around in a dumpster. Like, it would make more sense if they were just stealing the flats of beer, but instead they've just decided they're going to drink handfuls of it here. 
When John tries to confront them, he's grabbed from behind and very quickly has a knife to his neck. The ghoul with John pushes his chin up with a knife, and then Michael comes around the corner to check on him. He advises the gang to return their stolen beer and put the knife away, and when they don't, Michael throws hot coffee in their faces, and he and John beat up the three-man team. They drag the unconscious gang members through a stall full of empty cans. I, I, I don't even know where they take these guys. It's not supposed to be empty. Yeah, they're not supposed to be empty cans, but they're clearly empty cans. Are we sure that they're not implying that they drank all of those cans of no. beer? No, there's okay. like towers of beer that they topple over and they all make empty can sounds and they didn't bother okay. to pretend that these were full cans of beer, which is what you would have in storage. I'm wondering what the loss prevention to damage to the actual property that they used in beating up bump would have been that's true because they only took like two flats into the car yeah but they knocked over like a whole stack of them in this fight Mm -hmm. well they probably wouldn't have fallen over if they weren't all empty that's true (laughs) well what if this is just where they store the cans before they get filled huh then then that's definitely not worth the loss (laughs) yeah where do they take these guys? They just drag them unconscious through this stall? I don't think they take them anywhere because they show up. I, I think Because we, we definitely see Michael pull the guy out by his collar. But but I think it's... I don't think they're arrested or anything. I think they just they just yeah. rough them up and let them go. Yeah. yeah. Because they're all immediately back. At the top of their building, Michael and John are feeding a coop full of pigeons. It's a very romantic scene. <laughs> John invites Michael to come drink with him at a pool hall. <laughs> at like 8 a.m yeah and uh, michael says sure i just gotta see my kids off to school <laughs> so he goes downstairs uh presumably they live in the same building and yeah. sorry and then john like wipes some blood from his face i was like what from the is fight i guess i i assume that this was later like much later oh no i think it's later in the same morning okay yeah i think that they just got off of work and they they you know they work the docks and the food mm-hmm. trade so they're they're very early and and they're just getting off of work and that's when you have a beer mm-hmm. so michael goes and he sees his kids off and we get this insert while he's talking to his kids of a carload of ghetto ghouls driving past the building and michael tells his wife hey i'm headed out for a drink with john and <laughs> she's like yep got it but on the way he's cornered by the ghetto ghouls and they throw a heavy chain around his neck and drop him to the ground. And while one of them is choking him out with the chain, another one buries what looks like a cultivator for gardening into his back. Mm-hmm. It's and like then, this three-pronged stabbing tool. And then twists it. Yeah, again, that's again the stabbing it, it, and the twisting the rules. you don't like. Uh, but he, he's bleeding all over the place. John goes to meet with Michael's wife at a park with the kids. And he's like laughing and playing games with the kids for a minute. He's like, hey, why don't you come over here for a second? And he pulls her aside and he explains. This morning, Michael was mugged. What? His neck has been broken. God. And it seems that he's going to be paralyzed. No! Possibly for the rest of his life. It's like the, he's like the worst at delivering yeah. bad news. <laughs> we cut from him comforting Michael's wife to a ghoul being strung up in an alleyway like there's no pursuit it's just immediately he has one of the bad guys already strung up on these two poles exactly how he was strung up in vietnam and he's torturing this guy with a blowtorch to get information about the ghouls he gets because this isn't even one of the guys that did the attack this is just a different a different ghoul somebody in the gang that he wants to get like who are those guys that attacked this man yeah and uh so he gets the address for the clubhouse and we see this guy later, so apparently he just let him go after yeah. the lightly toasting him. And I thought that this was the guy that he rescued later from the the porn place. No. No. No, it's not. 
I, that's what I thought it was yeah. until until he shows up again later. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that wasn't him. But at, at first I was like, oh, man, what a crazy turn of events that, that he. <laughs> yeah, it's like Pulp Fiction where you're yeah. trying to kill a guy and then he rescues you from getting raped. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought was happening. <laughs> but uh, I don't think that's what's happening here. But I thought from what happened that this was going to be about him going and just mercilessly murdering all these guys. Right. So for him to so, show so much mercy right. here and be like, oh, thanks for the clubhouse. You can go home and here's a here's a gift card for Wendy's if you want a, a Frosty or something. We cut to a gang party <laughs> listening to Disco Inferno for some reason. Um, I think you guessed something based on this music playing. Oh, well, I think burn, that... Burn, baby, burn. I, I mean, I think that they were trying to reference back to the fact that he was just using the flamethrower, right? Right. Well, I, I thought that that music was implying that he burned that guy to death after that scene. But now oh. that we know that that didn't happen, I thought maybe it was foreshadowing that he was going to bring the flamethrower to this party. Well, but you were pointing out that it was weird, the weird choice of music. And I'm like, well, they're just referencing the fact that he was burning the guy previously. Right. Yeah. But he like barely drifted the flamethrower towards the guy's sleeve one time. But I think he, he might have let him go after this scene because he did say, If you're lying, I'll be back. No, I'm not lying to you. So maybe he left him strung up for a while, took care of some business, and then came and let him go. Because this is the ex-Terminator. The Terminator says, I'll be back. The ex-Terminator says, if you're lying to me, I'm going to come back. (laughs) He says it again later in the movie. But outside the door, he loads up a rifle, and then he heads into this party. He's just grabbing the girls and throwing them on the floor when he walks in, and then he just kills all the dudes here. They don't understand why he's so upset that they paralyzed a black guy and then the last guy in this group gets slammed so hard with the rifle like the butt of the rifle it looks really real to me but he cracks the guy in the face with the rifle butt and just drags him down the stairs and he's basically got he took two of these ghouls out of this party Mm -hmm. and he left them somewhere in a basement i think in a bunch of garbage and he laid them down on the ground next to each other and he finished one off he shot one dead on the floor and he left the other one to just die there next to his friend but he doesn't right we cut two cops investigating the scene apparently o'malley one of the new cops was grossed out enough that he's puking in the alley somewhere only one of these two guys survived but rats have eaten off half of his face by the time the cops got there an arriving police officer says, Somebody off some of the ghetto ghouls? Is that what this bullshit's about? You check it out. I'll see you down at the station house. This is a good thing. This is less work for us. At the same time as they investigate the attack, they're retrieving stolen goods from the ghouls' clubhouse and loading them into a truck, hopefully to return, though probably just to, like, police auction off yeah. for their own funding well, purposes. Because one of them says, do you want a television? <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> The boss of the crime family charging protection to the local businesses sits in a sunroom with the newspaper and complains about how shitty comics have gotten. Whatever happened to Moon Mullins, Maggie and Jiggs, Buck Rogers? You remember Buck Rogers? Someone stops by to relay a message from a senator, and the boss asks his female companion to give them some privacy. The man tells the boss that beef is too expensive in the city, and they want a four-cent drop in the next six months. The boss basically shouts in the guy's face about all the money he'd lose and refuses to play ball with the senator. I was like, four cents? That doesn't, I don't, I, I mean, I mean if it's the four pound. cents a pound, yeah. yeah maybe but you're still. only getting a hundred cents a pound right now anyway. But but how does this guy control 
the price of meat. Because he's the mafia winner guy. Like that, but that's what like I understand that he's charging protection so that the business doesn't get burned down or something like that. Like that the mobsters don't come in and like slash all the tires on his trucks. But uh, somehow he's able to control the price of meat. Is 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 he going to tell the suppliers? You need to lower your prices. Well, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that would be part of it, and that it's like if you don't do what we say, then we're going to go back to what we would have done if you hadn't paid us in the first place. Mm. Well, but he's also saying I can't do that because it would be at a loss. So he doesn't control it. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he would take a hit if he yeah. lowers it. Detective James Dalton from the crime scene earlier heads into a bar to chat with a bartender, Ralph. This is the role that Steve James was originally auditioning for. Detective Dalton is looking for the girls from the Disco Inferno party, and he wants to know if anyone can identify the attacker. And how did he know that there were girls there? I don't know. Because everyone's dead, except for one guy who... (laughs) Can't talk. Who can't talk. Yeah. Ralph pretends he isn't much help. Best he could do is tell Dalton where one of them, Candy, works, and exactly what she'll be wearing tonight. (laughs) What it says about Ralph that he knows all this is irrelevant, I guess. In exchange for this information, Ralph hands the detective a fat wad of parking tickets to tear up. Dalton waits in a car near Candy's Corner, which is basically like Times Square or very close to it, and he sees a trucker picking up a different girl, and then he sees Candy outside in the outfit that Ralph described, and she gets into his car when he lifts a pair of handcuffs. She says what the price would be for handcuff play before he explains. Oh, there for you, baby. I'm a cop. And you're under arrest. Wouldn't they be for her either way? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're for him. Dalton gets Candy in a cell, and he tells her that he wants to know who killed the ghouls, but she clams up, likely fearing for her life. He dumps out her purse on a table and starts leafing through it. He finds a strap for tying her arm for drugs, and he tears open her sleeve to find injection scars up and down her arm. She breaks down and agrees to talk. I'm not sure what is motivating this change of heart. Mm -hmm. It's like... Oh no, you found out I'm a drug addict. Now I'll tell you the information you wanted yeah. to know and then get killed by the maniac with a rifle. John, looking like the love child of Rowdy Roddy Piper and Dana Carvey, sits down in a hospital with Michael. He tells him that he took out a few of the guys that put him here and he also thinks he's found a way to provide for Michael's family and not to worry. Do we ever find out what he means by that? Um, yeah. I thought that he was going to steal the protection money. He is. That is the plan? That's why he... That's but, why he, well, does what everything that he's about to do is to get is to get money. Okay. Right, but I thought he was going to steal it from the two guys with the briefcase. Like oh. when they, when when they're going to collect, he was going to snatch the case while they once they've collected all their money. No, he go, he's trying to go to the mob boss's house to steal the money to get the money that he's mm-hmm. already got. Correct. Also, what could Candy have told them? Just who it was. What the guy looked like. like That's I, all. I guess. Yeah. Just a general description. But what she does tell him is, which we find out later, is the kind of gun that he had. But they could have gotten that from the forensics from the bullet of the guy yes. shot. That is true. We are the same height. That is neat. <laughs> Here, John tells Michael to blink if he wants the TV on, and he does. We cut to the mafioso guy training an attack dog with a big padded glove. The mob boss then takes his girlfriend to the old homestead restaurant which is actually a super fancy restaurant, except for the bathroom, which looks super shitty. Yeah. The boss heads into the bathroom. 
and John is hiding in a trash can in the bathroom. So and how long is he there? I don't how know. does he know that he's the only one in that bathroom? Like, there's so many yeah. questions here. Well, how would he know that he's going to go to the bathroom? How first many people of all? have been in there prior to him getting in this trash can that have thrown things away? It's like Debbie from <laughs> He Knows You're Alone. Like, I hear someone in the bathroom. It must be the person I've been waiting for. There, there's Time there's to a, climb out of the garbage. It, I would have liked to see the scene when. After he injects Gene, uh, the mob boss, he comes out and there's like a pile of injected people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's knocked out every single person that took a shit all day. <laughs> but the boss is in the stall for a while. And then when he comes out, John's waiting for him with the syringe of knockout juice. He pokes him and covertly sneaks the guy out the bathroom window. <laughs> um, we dip to black like you might in a TV episode. Yeah. Uh, I'll get into the dip at the black suit. But the way he's like moving this body is like this guy is absolutely no help. As the, yeah. as the actor is like, no, no, I'm I'm completely knocked out. Yeah. I'm not even going to try to like cradle my arms around yours tightly just so you can lift me up. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like all floppy. <laughs> What's like, up? Dude, come on. Do they ever go over what the the boss's like bodyguard would think? It's like <laughs> the guy just never came out of the bathroom. <laughs> like, wouldn't they go to his house and be like, "Maybe he went home." Yeah, if if he went anywhere, I don't know what what is the implication here that the he has a bodyguard with him that stands guard outside, and then they just never pursue it at all. They're just like, oh, I guess he's like gone. The, he's just still standing there at the restaurant, yeah, forbidding at the end of the movie. Yeah, the that's restroom. the after credit scene. Is like. <laughs> Sorry, not yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes he takes a while. But yeah, we dip to black. And it's almost like when you get like the picture spinning around, cutting mm-hmm. from uh, around a commercial break, and suddenly the boss is hanging from uh, a warehouse ceiling in a big metal chain, and John rolls this industrial meat grinder underneath him and plugs it into the wall. It looks like the one from, from Ricky O's Story of Ricky. I'm not even sure if they exist in this size. Where you could literally just drop a cow into it. Yeah. It, it also reminded me of the, the second Kingsman movie. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Uh, but he flips the switch to turn it on. And meat is already being ground out of the extruder part of it. Well, he, he tosses a big old chunk of meat. Oh, did he? Yeah. I missed that. Also, the button that controls the machine just says up and down. And so I guess up <laughs> up is on and down is off. No, it's clearly a button for something else that they just stood in for the button for a giant meat grinder. Or maybe down is like grinding because the thing moves down. But then if you hit up, you can reincorporate the thing. Oh, okay. Back it's, into it's a like it's like person. reverse reverse on the paper shredder. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. It just tapes everything it's back together. Jammed. The boss wants to know who sent him and guesses at some other crime families before John interrupts, asking, "Hey, where's your house?" How do I get into it? And he's like, uh, I live at this address, and here's my key. And he says, where do you keep your safe? What's the combination? And then he's like, all right, here's the safe is in this room, and mm-hmm. here's the combination for it. And then he says, is there anything else I need to know? And the boss like looks suspiciously off to the left for a couple seconds. He's like, no. Nope. Nothing I trained there to attack anyone. Cat we- cut my tongue. <laughs> Wait, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> nope. Uh, John heads to the house with the key, and before he can get to the safe, he's tackled by a Doberman, which... Well, he did say before he leaves the boss man right. here that, if you're lying to me, I'll be back. Yeah. He gets the catchphrase again. If you're lying, I'll be back. Uh, and so John is getting attacked by this dog in the on the kitchen floor in the house, and... 
while he's being mauled mercilessly, he's able to grasp an electric carving knife and just straight murders the dog with it. I, I mean, a, a plugged-in electric carving knife. Yes. That, that's extremely lucky that it, that it was plugged <laughs> in was and knocked to the powered. floor. Oh, okay. Because it, it was on the counter, fell to the floor. I didn't see any cords. He just reaches out and grabs mm-hmm. it. But as he's struggling with his dog, there is blood all Ever. over the yeah. place. So I presume that's his blood and I think not so. the dog's blood yep. because he hasn't done anything to the dog. There's to blood the dog on bleed. the carving knife before he even gets to it. Well, that was the previous take. But it's just really crazy because there's blood everywhere. And then he gets up and after the dog has attacked him and he like washes his hands and wipes down the carving knife like he's getting rid of this evidence. And I'm like, yeah. there is blood everywhere in this yeah. kitchen yeah. and it's your blood so yeah. i don't think you're covering this up i mean i would have i would have like just gone into the cupboards underneath the sink and hope that there was like some ammonia or windex and just start splashing it around or just burn the whole place down once you have the money but <laughs> when he takes this knife to the dog even though it happens off camera i'm very sure that he didn't stop cutting when the dog died because yeah. it's making a sound like it's hurt and then it's making a sound like it's really hurt and then it's not making a sound anymore and he's still cutting with it <laughs> so i really wanted when he came back to this grinder for him to just toss the dog's head in first <laughs> but that didn't happen but yeah he heads back to the warehouse and i, I do like how how a brief this scene is where he just like suddenly the lights come on he walks in and, and as he's walking to the grinder the guy's like oh fuck he knows about the dog i fucking yeah. got him attacked and he just walks up and hits the button it turns around and leaves and then the meat mob is just getting turned into a pile of meat see i would have i would have taken that time of in the change to start a good swing going so even if he turns on well he starts lowering me at least i can swing out of position <laughs> and then be yeah. outside of the meat grinder. what if he just waits till you're asleep uh, he knows when you're sleeping. <laughs> he knows Santa, when you're awake. <laughs> Santa the killer. But we see the boss getting extruded out of the side of the machine into a pile. Dalton stops by the hospital to visit rat eaten face guy and gets <laughs> very, very little oh, out of him. Oh, that makes so much more sense. I was like, how is there a body left to talk to? I thought it was the mob <laughs> boss. I'm no. like, how is this possible? No, that was, that was, uh, <laughs> That was the other guy whose face like was he eaten has off. very formed legs for a guy that got <laughs> grabbed up. <laughs> I would have thought the other side would be worse off. <laughs> He's just basically a pile of bandages in this table, though. I'm not even sure there's an actor laying there. <laughs> <laughs> if there is, it's it's for sure not the guy who played the, the gang member earlier. Dalton speaks with the attending doctor, and she ribs him a little for pretending to care about an injured gang member, but then she apologizes for her sarcasm, and he's immediately hitting on her. He invites her to an 8 p.m. picnic in a windy park <laughs> while she's on the clock. And she's like, yep. Yeah, that was so weird. It's like, you hungry? She's like, yeah. All right, cool. So We're out of here. <laughs> like, wait, what? No, aren't you a doctor who's like on duty? Isn't this guy dying here? <laughs> so they go and buy a shit ton of picnic yeah, stuff. Where like, did that come from? <laughs> yeah, it would take hours to eat all of this, too. It would take hours to collect it all. Did yeah. he go to yeah. his house? Did he just have a creepy picnic ready to go at his house? And they're understand. sitting in this weird caged table in Central Park while patients are likely coding back at the hospital. We see a woman approached by a man on the street with the offer of 100 bucks for a quick job. She follows him into an illegal massage parlor. The guy running the place informs her that they have a customer that likes to have sex with young boys. And sometimes he likes getting pegged by women while he's doing it. She expresses a general disinterest in this transaction, so they drag her in kicking and screaming. 
They decide to discipline her by dipping a soldering iron in petroleum jelly and then pressing it to her skin as a means of persuasion. I don't know what the petroleum jelly is doing in this equation. I have no idea. It's just to demonstrate to the audience that this thing is hot. Yeah. Because it's sizzling. Now Dalton and the doctor are sitting on the rocks under the moon in Central Park, and they discuss their plans for tomorrow. And then we cut away from that again, needlessly to the inside of an active newsroom for some exposition from real-life news anchor Roger Grimsby, who I only know because he shows up during the montage in Ghostbusters. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. He's here to tell us that the mobster meat was found. Good morning, I'm Roger Grimsby. Here now the news. Early today, the grizzled remains of a reputed meat mobster, Gino Pontavini, were found on the floor of a warehouse in the South Bronx, beneath a huge meat-grinding machine. And then he reads a note that was found at the scene telling the city that they can sleep soundly because he's going to start murdering all the bad guys. And it's signed the exterminator. So he gave himself this nickname, which I feel like is super cheesy. Someone else should have given it to him. Yeah. I'm really confused about this transition that he goes through because originally he's out to attack the guys that hurt his friend. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. his his friend that saved him in Nam, right? And then he's out to maybe get a little bit of revenge on the guys that were taking money out of his friend's pocket and now give it back to his wife and children who are in, who need it now, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a stretch for me because I'm like, well, I don't think the lost wages due to the mob payoff is really equivalent to what you're doing here. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Okay, it's a stretch. We're going with it. And now he's just out to kill anybody that's bad? Yeah. Where and did that flip happen? We do kind of get a moment when, when he's meeting with Michael the first time and he says, it's it's like when we were in Vietnam. It's strange. It was like we were back in Nam. It didn't matter whether it was right or wrong. And and that, that like the killing part is like when he was in Vietnam. And I almost feel like his point is like I feel like murder is justifiable here too. Yeah. And uh, he he's just realizing like Oh my God, it feels just as good to kill people yeah. here as it did when we were allowed to do it in war. So he's just into it and he's using I think it so. as a good excuse. I think this guy's a fucking monster. Yeah. Because it's not, a re- I thought this was going to be a revenge movie. No. It's not a revenge no, movie. No, because the revenge is had already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somewhere, a man, probably a senator, tells another man to kill the exterminator before the election because he's making everybody look bad. Is he? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Apparently, this is the CIA. Yeah. And they think that the, that it could be a foreign thing, like some other country is trying to kill our criminals. Well, no, I, th- I think that's that's the story that the CIA is trying to use to woo Dalton. But they their- say that he says that to the guy that he sends to Dalton, too. Mm. He says it could be it could be uh, some foreign intervention in our election. And it's like. How is that? How is that's the most roundabout for like election interference I've ever heard of? Where you're like, let's send in a spy to kill all their criminals to make their cops look bad. Well, and to make their elected officials look bad because the, this guy's doing what they haven't been able to do. I don't think that would make me look bad. <laughs> I would be like, uh, yeah, we can't condone vigilanteism mm-hmm. and we have a rule of law here. It just it looks bad that they haven't caught the exterminator, I guess. John is stopped on the sidewalk by a girl trying to sell herself to him, and he's not interested for 
a half of a one second. Yeah. And then he's like, "All right, let's go. Let's go have sex somewhere." Yeah. I, I don't know what the end game of this was either. Was he literally sex. just wanted to have <laughs> yeah, sex? Yeah, he was gonna have sex. Yeah. Because it wasn't like he was out to kill anybody here. No, he had yeah. no idea he was walking into something uh, unseemly until he got there. Yeah. So, but she takes him to the nearby whorehouse, and as they walk in, we're seeing flashes of her being tortured with the soldering iron. And they walk up to the window, and the guy in the booth says that it's 25 bucks if you want clean sheets. You want the sheets? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I gotta have the sheets. This hotel manager. He's great. He's ridiculous. I don't... This is, like, the best character in the whole movie. He's <laughs> on the screen for all of, like, 15 seconds. But yeah. he, his voice is just, it's just bizarre and awesome. I do like when they're walking away, though, he's inspecting the sheets in his hands, and he's like... These are the clean ones, huh? <laughs> Inside the room, she's putting the sheets on the bed and starts to undress... She tells him what happened when he notices all the the scarring on her breasts. And she calls the place that did it a chicken place, which I guess is code for where these people go for underage men. What was his plan before he saw this car? Was he just here to fuck a prostitute? Yeah, that, that's it. Uh, he tells her that they're leaving together and that no one's ever going to hurt her again. Yeah. Did he just adopt a whore? Like, what just happened here? Yes. Are you, you going to just take care of this girl forever? How are you guaranteeing that this is going to happen to her again? She's I think. set for life now? No, I think he just killed her. <laughs> when he said no one's going to hurt you again, he murders her. Because she's not staying at his place. There's nobody in his apartment. Yeah, I think uh, I think she's dead at the end of this because he likes killing now. We cut to him at home with a drill press, digging small holes into the point of a line of bullets, which he fills with a single drop of mercury each, and then melts more metal over the top of them to seal them up. I don't know why we see so much of this when the fact that the bullets have mercury in them plays no part in the film. Yeah. We spend like five minutes watching it. Yeah, I mean, because anyone who gets shot with them dies by other means. Right. Yeah, I think there's one guy that gets shot sort of in the leg-ish. Mm. And I think that's the only thing that I could say is like maybe for this reason he didn't shoot him in the head. I don't but know. Is one drop of mercury Why not just shoot him in the you? head though? Like, it is the sweetest of the transition metals. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like one drop is not enough. Like that guy's just going to feel like he went out and had like a boatload of sushi. That's all he's getting <laughs> out of this. It's not, it's not enough to kill you. But what do I know? This guy's reading from the Anarchist Cookbook, so maybe yeah. that's where he got the idea, and it just sounded neat. Yeah, I was like, what a timely reference, the Anarchist Cookbook. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I also like his wall of newspaper clippings that that he has. Of just like, everything bad. Yeah, including one that says, woman leaps to death, fending off armed bandits. <laughs> Perfect. And I was like, what was the scenario that she leapt to her death? Where was she? <laughs> that seems weird. Like, she went to the top of a building and was like, no, you can't have my purse. And then she yeah. jumped off the building. <laughs> yeah. Just give away your purse, lady. He opens a trunk in his living room and he takes out a long barrel revolver and a leather holster. He loads the gun with all of his quicksilver bullets and closes the trunk. He pulls another letter from the exterminator out of his typewriter. And he heads down to the chicken place and poses as a guy selling a six-year-old and nine-year-old boy whose mother OD'd. He sets a price of $500 a piece, and when the guy at the shop says, oh, that sounds great, do you have pictures? If they look good, I'll take them. Then suddenly John knees the guy in the balls and knocks him to the floor and then sprays him with lighter fluid. The fat guy who burned the girl earlier with the soldering iron notices him about to light all this accelerant and ducks back into his room, and John follows the guy after he sets this dude on fire on the floor. 
yeah, this 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 fat guy is he does he just live there? Because like how how is it that he's just always there? I don't know. Also, I don't think I would light a guy on fire in a place that might be full of underage boys before I cleared it out. Yeah. Mm. John follows the fat guy to his room and then finds a naked kid tied to the bed. I don't know if that. This is the right thing. Like, is this a kid? I mean, I I think it's a younger guy at least. Teenager, Um, perhaps. And then the fat dude stands on a table and John shoots him like through the pelvis, like through his hip. Mm -hmm. I feel like the script said penis, but he's wearing boxer shorts and they couldn't squib his dick without actually like (laughs) taking out a testicle. So he gets shot in like the hip, basically. (laughs) And we cut to, or we we see this kid on the bed screaming and he he doesn't know what's going on. He thinks he's going to get shot next. And so John sits down with him and starts to untie him with the knife. And then in an effort to calm the kid down, John says, take it easy, pointing his hunting knife at the kid who's like backed into the corner of the room terrified. But it's still like the the way he's positioning himself, it looks like, all right, now it's my turn to get what I want out of you. Yeah. He should have he should have put the knife away as soon as the other guy was knocked out on the ground. And, and this was the guy I thought was from earlier that he was torturing with the fire. Because right. like, like blonde curly hair. Uh, and I thought, oh man, yeah, now, he, now he's really going to want to help him. So now we cut to the same parlor, but hours later, where Dalton is being hounded by a reporter near the the wall of Dong. It's just like <laughs> like thirty. I was 30- laughing so hard. There's just a pile of pictures of naked men in the background. Yeah, um, he's walking through the place, and he gets to see all the bodies they found. The burned guy looks real fucking gross. Yeah, <laughs> it's like super authentic. I'm I'm not convinced they didn't just set a guy on fire for this movie, <laughs> but um, but the, that guy's melted to the floor it, it looks like the body that they bring back from the thing yeah the exactly Norwegian camp yeah for um, <laughs> Brimley's going oh god <laughs> <laughs> uh they come around the corner to the fat guy's room and evidently this was a state senator from new jersey and they're just watching the blood drain out of the hole in his ass from when the bullet came <laughs> through his hip dalton gets the results back from some tests and a call comes through from the cia and they're like, hey, the CIA called for you. They want to talk to you about this case. And he's like, oh, great. And then he just throws their information away because he's yeah. like, fuck you guys. I'll solve it. And then Dalton does the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> he cooks a hot dog? <laughs> With cooks- a fork? Yeah, he plugs it into the lamp cord. He plugs in two forks. Yeah. It's pretty great. Also, that is a fire hazard. Oh, yeah. It's a delicious hazard. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a cord with a light switch on it. But... The both ends of the cord are connected to the ends of forks, which he stabs one end into each side of the hot dog. I feel like this is just a thing that they sold. I'm not convinced that this no. is like no. total, this is like this is homemade. homemade. This is a MacGyverism, you think? Yeah, I did it once with a pickle. I did the same thing, except I put a dimmer switch on it. <laughs> did you say dimmer or dinner? <laughs> the hot dog one has a dinner switch. But if, if you do that to a pickle, it lights up. It lights up. Yeah. yeah. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. It's like the opposite electrolytes of the or, or something in the um, in the pickling process uh, cause the uh, electrons to jump back and forth and it lights up. We're going to stop down real quick. We got to do a little experiment. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> we, did, we, did, we did this in my, phys- my physics class in high yeah, school. I did, did it. You? Uh, I didn't get to do this. Yeah, I did this. We didn't in make pickle bulbs. Eighth grade. That's not fair. Yeah. But the hot dog doesn't light up, it just cooks. It looks great. It looks perfectly, I bet. Too. And then he just pulls a fucking 
stale ass hot dog bun out of his desk drawer and uh wraps it around the hot dog um <laughs> loose buns in yeah. here <laughs> loose buns <laughs> But I want to. I just want this like to be a scene now at my desk at work, where someone comes in and is like, "Hey, what you doing? I'm oh, just cooking a hot dog." Yeah, it's perfect. Oh, man, there's these series like I see these YouTube videos of this girl that does that stuff, like just cooks at her desk with random office supplies. Yeah, that's very weird. <laughs> um, the doctor calls his office and he tells her that John had an M16. I don't know why he's sharing this with the doctor. Uh, but he says that he wouldn't have had this unless he stole it from the military or he was in the military. The doctor invites Dalton to see her again right now. <laughs> like, she's like literally be here in a half an hour. Yeah, but she's still on call. Like, she's still on duty. So she can't yeah. leave the hospital. So she's offering him like a spare room that yeah, they, they could just sneak away to. They it's have, a booty call. Yeah, they have rooms at the hospital where doctors are allowed to like take a sleep break. I only know this because they use it on the show Scrubs all the time. Yeah, so she invites him to go do this. Uh, the doctor and the detective walk through the park again, and we see... This is them going on a date where they they go to a nightclub where Stan Getz is playing. Oh, okay. We see a cartoon of an old woman carrying groceries through the park when she's assaulted by a group of the ghetto ghouls. Yeah, this is Aunt May circa yeah. Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Exactly. Uh, the guy in charge kicks her in the ribs when she's already on the ground and then steps on her glasses right as a biker comes up to help her. And then, unfortunately for the guy trying to help her, yeah. John also shows up and he thinks this guy's like with the ghouls. So he puts a gun to the guy's head and he's like shouting at him to back off and he's going to take his bike. But he obviously doesn't care about the old woman because he leaves on the motorcycle with someone yeah. who he thought was a bad guy. But he stole this guy's bike, even though he stopped to help the woman. I don't know if he thought that this guy was a bad guy. I think he's just taking the bike because it was the most immediate way to get to chase the guys he wanted. I just feel like it wasn't necessary to literally put the barrel of the gun yeah, to this guy's fair. head. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, he could have just pointed it at him and been like, I'm really sorry. I got to use your bike to get those guys. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe he didn't want him to see his face as much as possible. Uh, but but yeah. yeah, excessive force. But the guy freaks out and John leaves. So the, the ghouls are speeding down the road in their car and they all come to the same stoplight with John on the bike, but they think it's the biker that they just drove away from. And so they get out of the car to face off with him. And then John lifts the helmet and just shoots this guy in the chest with a single bullet and knocks him back like 10 feet. Like he like jumps up in the air catching the bullet. And this is the guy that he had tied up before that he was burning with the flamethrower. Then uh, the other two guys run back into the car when they see their friend get shot, and he's trying to chase them in the motorcycle, and then he just fucking crashes it? Yeah. This is the hero of the movie. He stole a motorcycle, and then he just crashed it because he doesn't know how to drive a motorcycle? When they were already kind of, like, stuck. Yeah. Because they, they, they turned and got... got they On were, the sign. Like yeah. the 20-point turn. <laughs> yeah. But so he launches the bike off of the side of the road and crashes it, and they continue to chase John while he's on foot now. And then when he finally collapses to the ground, he yanks out that revolver and he puts one through the driver's head when they're far enough away that the car like spins out and rolls over before it can get to him. Yeah. He's damn lucky too. Cause I feel like that car should probably have just kept going straight for yeah. him. Uh, but now the car crashes over an embankment and then it explodes killing the surviving ghoul within. So now he's officially 
revenged all of the ghouls. There's no ghouls left in this movie. Right. Shaw from the CIA starts bothering Dalton at the scene of the explosion because every time we finish a scene with John, we cut to hours later when Dalton is there. And this guy, Shaw from the CIA, is just following Dalton around and uh, Dalton's basically ignoring everything Shaw says and just tells him to shut up. And then he's like, what do you think I'm trying to tell you? And he says, I think you have to take a shit. It's coming out of your mouth instead of your asshole. <laughs> and then while they're both standing there, like expecting for him to like listen to what they have to say or start taking orders, he just turns to call his doctor girlfriend. Yeah. He's like, hey, what's up? How's it going? Like he doesn't, he doesn't even really have anything to say. He's just like, oh, I just wanted to hear your voice. And this is where she says, hey, come see me for a midnight admission because uh, they have this extra room at the hospital more like midnight emission Ooh. but it'd be a shame to let this room go to waste so uh john comes back to michael's room at the hospital and he says hey i finally convinced your wife to take the money so your family's provided for your purpose on earth is <laughs> do, complete. You want, do you want to die blink yeah. twice <laughs> he asks mike to blink twice if he wants to be unplugged so listen, if you want me to cut you off this uh, system here, I will. Just blink your eyes twice if that's what you want. And he does, so John just goes for it. We were joking here that he was just like <laughs> trying desperately to keep his eyes open, but yeah. he couldn't do it. Because <laughs> he's just <laughs> like, oh one. my god. There's one. Like you, you see <laughs> a fly it, lands on one of his it. eyes and he's just twitching like, oh god, I don't want to blink again. John's just right up there blowing gently. So, <laughs> 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 I just wanted you to turn the TV off. That's what two blinks means. Um but no, he, he unplugs Michael. And then not only does he unplug him, but he cuts the wire so that nobody can come and plug him back in. And then he lingers way too long. <laughs> yeah, he does. While but these also, alarms are all going off. Not necessarily long enough. Because, like, yeah, he's, like, coding or something like that. But what if they got another machine in there and, yeah, he's and, in a and hospital. revived him before he actually died? Like, he doesn't know that he's dead, technically. Yeah. The alarm is going off at the hospital, and it rouses the detective and the doctor out of the room where they're fucking <laughs> and uh they find mike dead dalton follows the doctor into the hall with a wife beater and his jeans on and then john points to him and says hey your fly's open as the elevator doors are closing and then the detective realizes seconds too late that that was the exterminator leaving after having killed michael he heads back to his office and he calls someone to ask if anyone in their suspect pool may have been in the 144th ranger division with michael jefferson and he says call me back when you know but what he could have also done is just gone down to the lobby and said who was just in michael's room yeah and they would have said oh that was that was john eastland we called him to come here mm -hmm. because michael wanted to speak with him so that's well, who it was one i don't know how michael relayed that message because it seems like he can't talk morse code apparently <laughs> number two I don't understand how he made the connection that he's the exterminator based on anything that's happened. Well, he knows that the exterminator is connected to Michael because Michael was beaten up by the ghouls and all the ghouls are dying. Okay, so he he made that connection, but he must have made that connection prior to this moment. And so what now all of a sudden makes him think, oh, wait, 
Michael was in the army. He was in this thing. So the, maybe the exterminator is too. Why did it take him until this second to make that connection? I don't know. <laughs> I also don't know why he didn't think to just be like, oh, well, call down to the front desk and tell them not to let that guy leave. Yeah. Or who was that guy? Because everyone has to sign in at a hospital. Then I'll know who the killer is. Dalton loads up on guns. He seems to have a near identical gun trunk with the same type of foam inserts as John. John leaves to tell Mike's wife what happened before the hospital even notifies her. Yeah. And once again, is terrible at relaying yeah. bad news. <laughs> but he starts it by saying like, hey, we got to talk. I just came here from the hospital. And she's looking at him like, yeah, what's up? What do you, what do you got? How's it, how's it going? Are you all yeah. right? Like Want not reading his face at all where he's just like, look, I have something really terrible to tell you. And she's just like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? And then she waits until the word dead to react to any of what's been said. Yes, he is. No. No, there's still hope. There's no hope. There was no hope, please. He knew that, Maria. He knew that. Maria, I am his best friend. Maria, I love him like he was my brother. It's what he wanted, believe me. But then the kids come into the room <laughs> immediately while she's still bawling fresh from this revelation. And it's like, oh, yeah, hey, kids, sorry I killed your dad just now. I was just telling your mom about it. Yeah. Anyway, bye. Yeah, and, she, and then, then like, when he's leaving, she's fine, and he kisses her goodbye. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what is happening? Dalton gets the call that John matches the description and was in the division with Michael. It might have been easier to just ask the hospital who the guy was. Dalton and a team of officers bust into John's apartment, but there's nothing there. Not even his new adopted stripper <laughs> uh, character. The, the next day, John calls Dalton directly somehow. And well, because well, he realizes that they're all hiding out in his apartment. So he calls right. his own apartment. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. I missed that point. So he calls Dalton in his own home and... He asks to meet with him at Crane 5 in the Naval Yard at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning alone. Unfortunately, the CIA had a tap on his phone, so they got all this information as well. Dalton meets him at the agreed-upon location, and there's a row of flares burning like across the top of the crane. I missed the part about the tap, so that makes more sense that Dal it's not Dal Dalton didn't betray him in right. the come-alone right. part. Suddenly, John jumps down on Dalton when he gets there to scare him. And he's like, there, that's what being a victim feels like. And it's like, yeah, I'm a cop. Yeah. Like, I talk to victims all day. And I know what it is as, as well as you do. And then to show that he wasn't actually a threat, he goes to offer Dalton his gun as a truce. But then Dalton is shot in the chest by someone off camera. And the two of them duck for cover. And Dalton's just like, I got you, buddy. You get out of here. <laughs> We're friends now. Yeah. I'm going to die. Uh you get out of here and john dives off into the water as dalton is shot repeatedly by cia spooks who we can't even see are they even supposed to operate on american soil well uh no unless they're working with a a local office which they are not other than by murdering a member of the local office well uh when shaw got his orders he said that the the commissioner has approved your involvement oh, okay. so I, I would assume that in this case, it's pretty airtight. <laughs> and and they're using the excuse of that it's a it's a foreign, foreign power. power that's trying to influence. So that's why they're allowed to involve themselves. But we hear the government thugs say aloud, Washington will be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Not realizing that John escaped the setup. 
And the next morning we see John wash up on the shore of Liberty Island beneath the statue. And then we get our credits. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently this last shot is not in some versions of the movie. Hmm. Which I feel like would be that much better. Yeah. It's like, oh, the CIA literally killed both of them. Yeah. Yeah, because John gets shot diving off the boat yeah but we see in at the in this l- last little stinger bit pull that, off his jacket yeah he's got like a flak jacket on essentially yeah. a bulletproof vest of sorts but uh yeah that's the end of our film it was directed by james glickenhouse he also directed the exterminator 2 in 1984 he directed the protector with jackie chan shakedown with peter weller and sam elliott and mcbain with christopher walken the music here was Joe Renzetti. Uh, he did Fatso's score earlier this year. He also did Poltergeist 3, Child's Play, Basket Cases 2 and 3, and Frankenhooker. Christopher George was Detective James Dalton. He's Sergeant Sam Troy on Rat Patrol. Yeah, Rat Patrol. <laughs> He's also Coach Michael in Graduation Day, Lieutenant Bracken in Pieces, Venarius in Enter the Ninja, and Michael Kelly in Grizzly. Samantha Egger was Dr. Megan Stewart. She's Hera in Disney's Hercules. She's Lily Palmer in The Phantom. And she's the voice of a literal whale in two episodes of Metalocalypse. (laughs) Robert Ginty was John Eastland. He'll be back for Exterminator 2 and two episodes of Baywatch Nights. Steve James was Michael Jefferson. He's a baseball fury in The Warriors. He's a young man in He Knows You're Alone. He was the guy who was brought into len gamble's office to describe what happened in the theater he'll be back later this year as dude in times square he's at the table in the club with dimitch davis and weird science every damn night on the telephone (laughs) on the telephone uh corporal curtis jackson in american ninjas one through three he plays a character named Eastland in McBain. I wish he'd played a character named Eastland in this movie. <laughs> uh, he plays himself in The Player, and he's also Henry in Weekend at Bernie's 2. Tony Benedetto was the chicken pimp. He was Nick in Windows earlier this year. He's a longshoreman in Defiance. Uh, he's the doorman in Splash, and he plays Tony in nine episodes of Cheers. Patrick Farrelly was CIA agent Shaw. He plays O'Reilly in Fletch Lives. David Lipman was the state senator from New Jersey. I forget if I mentioned that in our recap, but the guy who got shot through the ass was a state senator. You did. You mentioned it. He, uh, he'll be back later this year as George the Chauffeur in Stardust Memories. He was Poe Picketer in Bonfire of the Vanities. He's a movie patron in Weekend at Bernie's 2. He plays one judge in 27 episodes of Law & Order and a different judge in 13 episodes of SVU. He's also the first lawyer in the Coen Brothers True Grit movie. Uh, Dennis Boutsikaris played Frankie. This was his first movie, but he plays Mason Baylor in Batteries Not Included. He's got a lot of TV credits. And lately he's been Rick Schweikert in Better Call Saul. That's the guy that's trying to get Saul to leave Ed Bagley Jr.'s firm and come work for him. And uh, that's the guy who got teased with the flamethrower and then knocked off the road with a bullet. Roger Grimsby was Roger Grimsby. He's an actual news anchor, and he's also himself in Bananas, Ghostbusters, and Nothing But Trouble. George Chung was the Viet Cong leader. He plays Tay in Rambo 2 First Blood. Rambo 2 Second Blood. First Blood Part 2. What is it called? First Blood Part 2. First Blood Part 2. 
He plays Chang Sing number six in Big Trouble in Little China. He's Lomax's gardener in Weekend at Bernie's one. He plays Gillette in RoboCop two. On MacGyver, he was General Narai in The Golden Triangle, Toy in Children of Light, and Dr. Liang in The Mountain of Youth. He plays Fan in Lethal Weapon 4. He plays Su Young's driver in Rush Hour. That's the little girl who's singing in the car. Uh, he plays a Chinese teacher in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. He's the Chinese ambassador on The West Wing and was replaced by James Hong later in the series. Tony Munafo was collector number two. That's one of the two big guys. He's a producer. He was a producer on Demolition Man, Judge Dredd, Cobra, and Cliffhanger, and every other Stallone movie from 86 to 96. And he has cameos in most of those films. Ned Eisenberg was Marty. This was his first role. And he'll be back as Eddie next year in The Burning. And he was Roger Kressler in 24 episodes of SVU. Irwin Keyes was Bobby. We had him in Private Eyes in Friday the 13th this year. He plays one of the police in The Warriors. He's Joe Rockhead in the Flintstones live-action movies. He plays a henchman in Black Dynamite. And he'll be back for Exterminator 2 despite dying in this film. Tom Everett was the hotel clerk. That's the you-want-the-blankets guy. He plays Frank in Easy Target on MacGyver. He was also Alfredo in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. He is Sergeant Pepper in Dances with Wolves. <laughs> I didn't realize they named a character that. Uh, he was a commercial director in a Cheers episode that I actually remember where Woody becomes a spokesperson for this like, very bad veggie like, smoothie. Like kale juice or yeah, something Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. It, was, it was kale. It was a kale smoothie. He plays Agent Frank Statler in Tremors 3 back to perfection. He's the president in Michael Bay's The Island. He's also a government official in the first Transformers film, and he plays Paul Rudd's doctor in This Is 40. The only other person on the list uh, of note is Samuel L. Jackson. He's right. credited as an extra, but I didn't see him. I didn't and either, I, and I, I was looking. Sure. Yeah, I was really looking hard, and I did not see him. Yeah, I think sometimes people just put that there like, was that Sam Jackson? I think it was Sam Jackson. I'm going to put it on his IMDb page. It's like, all right. But I, I didn't see him in here. I mean, that's not a for sure he wasn't in it, but I didn't see him. I feel like the casting i mean we mentioned that um we've thought that the the friend should have been the lead in this yes. but even if that's not true i really don't understand the main character casting in this i don't either he was on a show prior to this where he was playing like a soldier in the military but i think it was like not, an active duty show i mean not to be unkind but he's not what i would consider an action hero type no, person he's, not at all he's not super buff he's not doesn't have a very chiseled look to him he, he's also emoting less than the guy who was paralyzed from the neck down <laughs> for the whole movie and like everything about it like he doesn't even look military to me because he doesn't have a military haircut like n- nothing about the way he acts you know is is military-esque either and it also doesn't speak to his like feelings like I, I feel like this movie could have used some echoey Chuck Norris telling <laughs> us what's going on in his head because I don't I don't know what he's thinking I don't know what his plans are I don't know what he's trying to do from scene to scene. Well, yeah, that's why I didn't really understand the switch because he went from being you know getting revenge and taking care of his friend's family to just being some crazy Dexter kind of guy and yeah. you know for no good reason. And and I thought that something to do with his uh giving up the information in vietnam like, right like that was going to be his arc like he betrayed the unit and and even though he works with this guy who was in his unit like they maybe they give him a hard time 
and and then this guy gets beaten up so he has to step up like to shoot to prove like that he is of good character but then he does just like random stuff like i'm gonna get a prostitute tonight yeah Uh, i'm done killing for a while time to time to relax they made a lot of strange choices with this character to have him like essentially lose the the first fight that he has with the ghouls in that storage locker like they get him pinned up against the wall with a knife to his throat yeah and he's clearly the worst fighter between him and michael at the beginning of the film yeah and again like what i was saying like about a character arc like in that once again someone else has to come and rescue him and this movie is his opportunity to help and rescue other people but it doesn't even even at the end of the movie someone comes to rescue him yep Mm -hmm. and then that guy dies and this guy gets away but he doesn't actually take out any of the cia agents on his way out nope so I don't know. I mean, I understand that the next movie could just be, hey, here's a private citizen, uh, you know, a former Vietnam vet just murdering the shit out of CIA agents. Like, mm-hmm. is that what the second movie is going to be about? Because that's what it would have to be if you're starting from where this movie left off. But either way, it's, it's a weird choice to have him be not only not that good at fighting, but he gets caught and he betrays his country while he's a POW. It's like, that doesn't feel like the character that you'd want for this kind of a movie. But that's what they went with. I think it would have been great if you could have the same Vietnam scene at the beginning and then just flip it around and then have Michael be the one who's on the run the whole time Mm -hmm. and killing everybody. Mm -hmm. And the other guy's paralyzed because he's just a schlubby Larry Bird looking guy and (laughs) he's in the hospital. But yeah uh jess up or down on this one Mm, it's down there was not much redeeming about this movie and there's a couple of i don't know i guess kind of fun kills or attack scenes but that's about it there's there's things that i have to give it credit for i think the fucking head getting chopped off at the beginning is magnificent um i actually really love the guy melted to the floor i think that looked great and i also like that they went so far overboard with some of the kills like the guy getting i mean he's not dead but the guy getting his face eaten by rats Mm a guy a mobster getting put through a meat grinder and i also thought that it was kind of risque of them to have this prostitution ring that he's breaking up be a man getting raped because i feel like especially for 1980 that would have been uncomfortable subject matter when Hmm. this could just as easily have been a guy rescuing a woman which everyone loves to see on film yeah so for them to go no it's actually it's a pedophile ring with senators and they're they're raping young men and then to have him go and save a man i think was an interesting choice for that scene yeah i just wish that they had put as much thought into the story of this character as they did the visual effects that would have been nice (laughs) yeah it's two different jobs, unfortunately. Yeah, it just doesn't <laughs> it just doesn't pan out to being a good movie. Yeah. You can make it look good for days, but it's not it's not gonna keep you uh interested if you can't put a story together. Yeah. I think that the guy who he's torturing with fire and the guy who's getting shot off the side of the road, who are the same guy, mm-hmm. could easily have been two different guys. And he could have come back from the party and been like, Hey, thanks for that information and then set the dude on fire and killed him. Yeah. To just be like, no, you don't understand the point. I'm not letting any of you go. Well, and it definitely helps you understand the switch, that it's not specifically revenge against the guys that did this to his friend. Yeah. Now it's about, I'm just going to kill regardless. Yeah. Uh, it's a down. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, I again the head lopping off, which I rewound over and over and over again because I was just like, his mouth moves. <laughs> his mouth moves after the head is falling off. Well, you got about eight seconds. They say. <laughs> um. It, it it just looked like a real person's head, and I I applaud it. Um. I was hoping it was like, oh man, if this is how the whole movie's gonna be. Yeah. I cannot wait for this movie. Have you seen Ricky O or no? Uh, it's been a long time. Okay. But uh but yeah, then it was just like a disappointment. Like yeah. I the, all all this explosion in Vietnam stuff, I was like, yeah, nothing. And it's very unfocused as far as like what the what is powering this guy. Mm-hmm. Other than just crime in general. I I did not him being in a unit and going to Vietnam other than that he's friends with this guy like that they were friends in in the military like there's no reason for the vietnam stuff at the beginning also he's totally cool with the people that are like pimping out women at this one place Mm -hmm. even though that's obviously illegal also but he has a huge problem with them doing it to men on the other side of town and it's like these are both terrible places that I are don't victimizing think that women. He, the place that he went was just a, a shady hotel. It wasn't like a brothel. It wasn't. Oh, no. I no. thought they were both kind of the same thing. No, no it, was, it was just a. It was just a shady hotel. Oh, yeah. Okay, was, that was just the place that she takes people. Yeah. Yeah. But place that rooms by the hour. Yeah. Oh, okay. That so makes she more sense she then. was responsible for her own destiny in that situation. Yeah. It wasn't like he was letting people go. Yeah. So she doesn't have a pimp then. Correct. She's she's a. Uh, independent, freelancer? independent contractor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a freelancer letterbox jess it's pretty low on my list i i head chopping aside i i can't put it very high it is in the mid 80s here it is underneath honeysuckle rose and above the happy hooker goes hollywood i have it also pretty low um i am putting it just below he knows you're alone and just above the kidnapping of the president uh, I have it uh, also in the in the low to mid 80s. Uh, this is going to go just below Death Ship, but just above Don't Go in the House. All right. I think that's about everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. And on that note, I'd like to give a special shout out to Roman Castavet. Thank you so much for your iTunes review. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Melvin and Howard which IMDb describes like so. The story of hard luck Melvin E. Dumar, who claimed to have received a will naming him an heir to the fortune of Howard Hughes. We leave you now with the trailer for Melvin and Howard. Lady Luck and Melvin just weren't on speaking terms. I went around and I applied for a job at uh, places like uh, McDonnell Douglas, Northrop, Hughes. What happened there? They didn't want me. Well, I might have done something. Like what? I'm Howard Hughes. Well, you know, listen, I believe anybody can call themselves whatever they want. Things weren't going too good for Melvin. He just lost his job. Listen, that wasn't even my fault. Melvin, what can I tell you? You don't come back here tomorrow. His pickup truck was repossessed. 
wife walked out on him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hey, Melvin. Come on, out of there. Come home with me. Come on. No one much cared about Melvin. Then Howard Hughes left him $156 million. Melvin, we were all together. You, me, and Howard. You're lying, Dumore! You never saw him! You never met him in his life! Do you swear in the name of God that this story about how you received this will is true? Melvin, if it meant eternal damnation in hell, would you still say it just happened that way? I want the truth. Howard Hughes sang Melvin Dumar's song. That's what happened. He sang it. Pack <laughs> up all my cares and more. Here I go singing. 